Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Praise God. So glad you guys could be with us today. Uh, this is an important part of our service here at Exchange. We love to open up the Bible. We love to hear God speak to us clearly from his word. And uh, particularly on this day as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, we want to hear God speak to us again to say, what has this resurrection achieved for us? And what has it shown us of who God is in his salvation and rescue of us? So uh, today as I think about that, and as I think about some of the things that have really been significant events for this world, we really have had some things that have changed the course of this world. One is mobile phones. You might laugh a bit at that, but there was a point in time where there were no mobile phones. If you went back only two or three decades ago. Uh, But during the 1990s, they exploded in numbers. And believe it or not, mobile phones have changed the course of this world, particularly in the way we communicate with each other, to the point where we don't leave home now without a phone in our handbag or back pocket. Some things like that have changed our communication forever. Coronavirus, that's real recent, of course. That's probably changed the course of our world forever. Never has the world been brought to a standstill the way coronavirus has affected each and every person on the globe as it has over the last 12 months. I don't think the world will ever go back to what it was pre-coronavirus days. I mean, the world is always evolving, but it's significantly changed the course of the world. But neither the mobile phone nor coronavirus and the changes they have brought to us, that doesn't even pale in comparison to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now you may not think that or believe that as you look at this world around, about us just living on in its life of pleasure and leisure, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed everything. Everything without fail. If you've got your Bibles, please go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and uh, we'll open that up as we see Paul talking about that here to uh, the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start at verse 12 and read through to 22. Now, if if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins." Then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive." And then down to verse 58 as well. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. 
Uh, Lord, we thank you that we can gather together this afternoon. I ask and pray that the Holy Spirit, you would come and just bring this word alive in our hearts today. That this would not just be ho-hum Resurrection Sunday. We pray that you would uh, give birth in our hearts, again, a fresh understanding, a deeper appreciation of what took place just on 2,000 years ago. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death has been defeated. Sin has been paid for. The payment has been accepted. And we have eternal life. Please help us today in our blindness and our deafness to see that and to hear that. Lord, we ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do people really think about Easter Sunday? Is it just something that that people called Christians remember and celebrate each year because it's part of their church calendar? I mean, it's Easter, so we we celebrate something. Or if you're not a Christian today and you're visiting with us, which we are so glad you're here, what do you think about that? What does Easter mean to you? Is it just a long, extra long weekend where you can have some time off and it's been a great weekend for that this weekend with a glorious weather we've had? But is that what Easter means to you if I say... What does Easter mean to you? Well, for the Apostle Paul and millions of Christians around the world, uh, the resurrection at Easter does literally change everything in the faith that we have and what we believe. You see, if we can truly grasp who Jesus Christ is and what he has achieved on Easter Sunday morning and feel its implications, everything's got to change. If we feel it and get hold of it, it's got to change. It's got to change everything about us. As we think about that today, here's our big idea where we're going. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a steadfast, immovable hope of resurrection with him no matter what happens to me in this world. No matter what I go through, the resurrection gives me this immovable hope. Immovable hope. Now, just a bit of a pre-warning today, there'll be lots of Bible in today's talk as we go over a number of places. So I'll give the reference, but it's also going to be up on the screen. So just um, just letting you know where we're going to be. Okay, firstly, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday makes no sense without Good Friday, without understanding, well, how did Jesus, if he rose from the grave, how did he get to the grave in the first place? What was the sort of, you know, what was the events that sort of got him there uh, to do this? In a nutshell, uh, God created humanity in Adam and Eve. We all came from Adam and Eve. God gave them full freedom in this world that he created for them, full freedom except for one thing. One thing. God withheld one tree of fruit from them in the garden of Eden. You can do whatever you like in this garden. There's one tree there. You cannot eat the fruit or you cannot eat from that tree. What was that tree? That tree was there held out in their recognition of God's sovereignty and lordship over the life of Adam and Eve. This was their one test of obedience that would recognise them as Lord in their life. They can do, you can do anything you like in this world, just one tree. Don't eat of that tree. That was the recognition of God's sovereignty and lordship in their life. If they crossed over that boundary, as it were, and refused God's sovereignty or refused God's lordship in their life and ate of that tree, then God said, you will die. You will surely die that day when you do that. Die spiritually before God. A a spiritual relationship or or element of that relationship with God, they would be utterly separated from God the day that they disobeyed God and ate of that tree. What did they do? They ate of that tree. 
They stepped over that line. They refused God's rule in their lives and they died spiritually and were cut off from God. And the significance of that was they were expelled from the garden when they ate of that tree. That is the cause of all our problems today. We're not going to go into the great detail of that, but everything you're experiencing in life in the way of challenge or brokenness all stems from man's disobedience right back at the beginning. Ultimately, though, in the course of time, God sends his only son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world to die on our behalf, my behalf, your behalf, to make the full and final payment of that sin that we all are guilty of. This Jesus did on Good Friday. He died a cruel, barbaric death on a Roman cross as the sinless Son of God in place of rebellious humanity. A gruesome death. That was Good Friday. But that leads to Resurrection Sunday. But prior to this, though, the disciples here, as we're thinking back in Jesus' time, this should not have been a shock for them about the crucifixion or the resurrection. Jesus actually told it to them three times. Here's one of them in Luke chapter 9. He says this, uh, talking to the disciples, and he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. This is what he's about to say. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Good Friday. And that's exactly what happened. But then Jesus goes on to say, and on the third day be raised, as in rise from the grave overcome death and sin. It was there, and they heard it three times, but they didn't get it. Now, I'm not giving this full justice here because I've really just skipped over it pretty quickly, what's taken place. But Jesus' death wasn't just the nails through his hands and the excruciating pain that was. That would be pretty gruesome, but it was way worse than that. Way worse than that. What Jesus experienced was God's right, holy anger and wrath towards our sin, towards our rebellion before him. Jesus took that crushing guilt and shame upon himself. Now, some people may even sit here and think, what do you mean God got angry? God's rightly angry at our rebellion, rightly angry at that. But Jesus took that on our behalf. So that's Good Friday. That's Jesus suffering for our sin to pay the price of our sin for our rebellion before God. Good Friday, though, leads us towards the resurrection. But even getting to the resurrection, the people of Jesus' day, particularly the disciples, and even the people here in Corinth, as we're going to see in a moment, they're fearful. They're confused. It doesn't all sort of stack up for them at the moment because they didn't get what was going on. Even that was clearly written for them, and Jesus said it three times. Uh, There was a a major turnaround for them when they did get it, but prior to them getting it, understanding the resurrection, uh, these guys were fearful and confusion. Here's the first one. Look in Matthew 26, 56. And this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus is about to die. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him and fled. The Roman soldiers come out to arrest Jesus. And then, to, and then these guys just took off. Even though they'd heard him say it three times before him what was going to happen, they were fearful. They fled in fear. Even on the morning of the resurrection, there was still confusion in their minds about what was going on. Even though Jesus told them multiple times. Uh, the, the women had been down to the tomb and the angel had said to them, he's risen. And here's what it says in Luke 24, in which Simon read before. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. 
what the angel had said to them, that Jesus risen. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But get verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, street gossip, and they did not believe them. This is after the resurrection, the early hours of that Sunday. The ladies have been told by an angel, Jesus is not here, he's risen. And they went back and told the disciples, no, we don't believe you. You're just telling us a story. You see, these people weren't a convinced group of followers of Jesus even at that time. They had doubts. They had confusion. Fear was filling their hearts and their minds even at this time. All they were thinking was, all that teaching of Jesus we heard over the last three years, is it just like disappearing like a puff of smoke? All that stuff we heard from him that's so burned in our hearts, but it's gone. And they're thinking the miracles and the signs that they saw. They're looking back at that thing. Was that just the mirage? Do we see that? Do we not see that? Because now he's dead. All this is happening in their minds at this time of fear and confusion. Maybe these questions roll around in your own mind today. Maybe we're not much different to the disciples at times as we think about what's happening here. Maybe we're really asking, are we, Jesus, are you really true? Does everything you've said have any foundations to it at all? Or is it all built on false and fake promises? Have we believed a lie and put our hope in a con man? As the video said, maybe he was a lunatic. I'm sure sometimes those questions arise in our own hearts as we look around this world. The Corinthian church was even struggling with this. Have a look in verse 12 here, and they're showing their doubts. It says this in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Even these guys have got some doubts happening. Someone's come into the church there and said, "Ah, no resurrection, didn't happen, didn't take place. And they're beginning to unsettle others in that church. They're beginning to think, well, maybe I've believed a lie. Maybe this is not true. And even as I think about ourselves sometimes, sometimes we actually see potentially high-profile people, as it were, go through a deconversion, turn their back on their faith, and it rocks us. We actually begin to quit. Maybe, maybe that person's right over there. Maybe I've just been, maybe I've just wasted my life believing all this stuff. Doubts and fear and confusion. It's real. It happens. Now, it's important to see here as we think about that, this disturbing and troubling times through doubts and fear and confusion, it's important to see that the resurrection, the truth of the gospel here in the resurrection, is a foundational pillar of the gospel. It's an important part of what we believe. It's a bit like if we pull the truth of the resurrection of the gospel out of it, it's a bit like pulling the central pillar out of a building. What happens if you do that? The building comes crashing down. There's nothing to support the building. It's no different with the gospel. If we pull this truth of the resurrection out of the whole message of the gospel, the whole message comes collapsing down. It actually falls in a heap. And Paul deals with this very thought in these next few verses here as he begins to challenge these Corinthians about what they're hearing with these doubts and confusion. He says this in verse 13 and 14. But he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, 
then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain, actually. What's Paul saying? It's a waste of time. All this preaching, all this opening up the Old Testament, which is what he did back then, and trying to share the gospel out of the book of Isaiah and place like it's a waste of time, Paul says, if there's no resurrection. And actually, your faith, your trust is a waste of time as well. It's in vain, Paul says, if there's no resurrection. If you pull that out, we've wasted our time. You've been stitched up. You've been taken for a ride. Then he goes on in verse 15 and says this, We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he did raise Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Paul saying, we've just been telling lies. We've been misrepresenting God. We've been telling people that God did raise him, but we've been misrepresenting him if Christ wasn't raised. We're fools, we're false for doing this. He goes on further here if you're saying, if you're going to pull this out of the message, he says this in verses 16 and 18. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. Strong words that Paul uses there. Your faith is futile. Futile. Our whole trust in Jesus' resurrection has been a pointless exercise if you don't believe the resurrection took place. Pointless. Total waste of time. To have our hope that he had taken away our sins and brought us eternal life has evaporated if there's no resurrection. Paul's saying this is critical. If there's no resurrection, your faith is futile. He goes on to say this if you take the resurrection out of the story. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people most to be pitied. We are of all people most to be pitied. What's Paul saying there? He's saying this. If there's no resurrection in Jesus and our hope was in this life only and there was no eternal life then Paul's saying, then we of all people are the most to be pitied. Pit, please pity us. Why have we gone through all of these challenges? Why have we gone through all of these difficulties? Why have we actually been such a difficult life in so many respects and gone through so many dramas for following Jesus if there's no resurrection? He would say, please have pity on us for the poor decisions and the despairing, crazy stuff we've been through. We are of all people most to be pitied if there's no resurrection. It's critical. It's absolutely critical. You see, if if there's no resurrection, the gospel falls over. It doesn't stack up. It won't stand. It actually becomes a total waste of time. Because we're still in our sins. That means we're sunk. That means it's game over. That means there's no eternal life. You see, these people, the disciples and the people in Corinth, they're confused and fearful. And Paul's trying to, uh, particularly ones in Corinth, rebuild their faith again in what the resurrection has done as a key foundation of the message of the gospel. But that's not the case, that there is no resurrection. 
just as the angels had told the women at the tomb. Why seek the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. Paul goes on and says this in verse 20. He says, but in fact, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits from those who've fallen asleep. But in fact, it's an implacable statement. It's an indisputable truth, Paul says, but in fact, it can't be challenged. It's an irrefutable truth. It's an undeniable truth, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That then changes everything. Not some things, everything. You see, resurrection morning is the morning that everything changed in this world. Everything changed as well. You see, the cross is the payment of our sin and resurrection becomes the acceptance of that payment to say, paid in full, debt is cancelled. Resurrection is guaranteed. More than 500 people witnessed the resurrected Christ. He didn't just appear to a handful. He didn't appear to thousands, but he didn't appear to a handful either. He appeared to more than 500 people, we're told, who witnessed this incredible miracle. Jesus, brutally murdered on a Roman cross three days earlier, is now walking, talking and eating with people. People spoke with and had conversations with the risen Christ, whom they saw nailed to the cross three days earlier. Nobody recovers from that death. People shared meals with the risen Jesus. They witnessed that Paul says, but in fact, he has been raised. He didn't come back for a day or two, just to sort of drop in and have a cup of tea and move on. Jesus actually was on the earth for nearly seven weeks after that resurrection. Look here in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, where Luke's writing to Theophilus, and he says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive, resurrection, after his suffering, the cross, by many proofs, appearing to them, during 40 days, nearly seven weeks, sorry, six weeks, and speaking about, couldn't have been mathematics there, could I? Six weeks, speaking about the kingdom of God. So not just a day or two, he was there like for week after week. This was not some passing thing. The resurrection is a real thing. After the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, these men and women were totally changed totally changed as they witnessed this and they felt this and believed this in comparison to where they were prior to Good Friday and even around the resurrection initially until Jesus did show themselves to them. They were a different people, a massive change in them because the resurrection changed everything amongst them. Paul the Apostle went on to experience this in following Jesus Christ as an actual witness to the risen Jesus. This is what he experienced. Have a read of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just try and take some of this in, what he goes through. Paul's talking to the Corinthians here and he says, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one, 
Five times he received that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's not drugs, that's rocks. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Not once. Three times he shipwrecked in the Mediterranean Sea. A night and a day I'm adrift, just bobbing around in the ocean. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the... There's a lot of danger here. Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure... And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? Who the heck goes through all of that if there's no resurrection? Who gets beaten with rods three times if, he, if there's no resurrection? Who gets stoned, as it were, by rocks nearly to death? And you can read about that in the book of Acts. If there's no, who goes and gets shipwrecked three times because all of that's part of his gospel ministry? Who does that if there's no resurrection? Nobody does that if there's no resurrection. That's crazy stuff. History tells us all the apostles, except for the apostle John, were all executed because of their faith in Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Paul, the writer of this letter to the Corinthians, was decapitated, head removed in, in Rome. Peter the Apostle was crucified upside down in Rome as well. All they had to do, all they had to do was just deny Jesus and they kept their life. That's all they had to just, no, I don't believe in him. But they didn't. They didn't. Why? Because Jesus has risen. They've seen the resurrected Christ. That has changed everything for them. Everything for them. You see, resurrection morning is the morning that changes the world forever. If you get it. If you can see it. Look at the way Paul finishes off this passage here. It's powerful for us in uh, chapter 15. Uh, when the, he's talking now about the immort, uh, eternal life coming. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He's actually talking to death here in that sense. This power you have over us. The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is law. But thanks be to God, who gives us what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are victorious in Christ because of the resurrection. It doesn't matter that death is coming, because death is coming. Death is coming for every single person in this room. Here's some good news for you at Easter. You're all going to die one day. You will. But that doesn't matter. That really doesn't matter. Our greatest enemy and fear in life is death. I was sitting next to a guy in the time booth yesterday at Elliot's football in Mansfield, and I said, have you ever thought about God? He said, yeah, I've been thinking a bit about that lately. I don't want to die. He's exactly right. I'm glad he was thinking about it. We had a great conversation about that. Sin has brought death into the world. But Jesus has defeated death. He's overcome death. We can look at death and we can smile at it with victory. 
that's what the resurrection does. See, this is the morning that has changed the whole world. It's significant. But look at what Paul says here about what it does for us even now as we think about the resurrection. It's powerful, incredibly powerful. How he finishes, I just wish he was here to actually say it himself. I'll do my best. Look at verse 58 with me. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Now, you've got to see the connection here that Paul's making. This is one small word in that verse which links everything together. It's the first word, therefore. Paul is saying, therefore, at the end of this passage, therefore, in the light and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, or therefore, knowing what we do know now about the resurrection of Jesus, Paul's saying, therefore, because of all that, because you know you're the victor, because you know you've got victory ever since, be steadfast, he says. Be persistent. Keep hanging on. Don't let go. The resurrection has given us victory. Be steadfast, Paul says. Don't give up in the battle. Don't let go. Keep fighting against sin. Be steadfast, Paul says. Why? Because he lives. Jesus has risen. He's guaranteed us with his resurrection that we too will remain in that resurrection with him and steadfast in trusting him for the victory in our lives. Paul doesn't stop there though. He says, be immovable. Don't move. Don't be shaken. Be like those rocks that you see by the seashore that are pounded by the waves. The waves come in one after and they just pound these rocks. And what happens when the water just peels back off those rocks? What do you find? The rock hasn't moved, has it? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are equipped to face all the waves that life might crash down upon us. It doesn't matter when the waves of relationship and pain we experience, it doesn't matter when they come through. It hurts, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Why? Because of our faith in Jesus through the resurrection, not even that will move us from the hope that he's given to us. It doesn't matter when the waves of financial crisis come upon our lives and they crash into the rock of our life. Not even that matters. Why? Because we have the victory through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter when the waves of sickness smash into our body, which sometimes they do. It doesn't matter. Why? Because we have the victory in Jesus Christ. We have the victory through his resurrection achieved for us. Here's something I challenge you to do this week. Because those waves will probably come this week. They might be just a small little ripple, but some of them could be a tsunami. Who knows what's coming our way? Here's what you do when things like that begin to, as it were, come upon us and begin to crash down upon us. You stop and you think about Jesus and you think about the resurrection. Not for two seconds. Just stop and think about the resurrection of Christ. Stop and think about what's been achieved for us. Think about, I'm going to rise with Christ. It doesn't matter about my financial problems. It doesn't matter about about my relational problems. It doesn't matter about my sickness problems. I'm going to rise with Christ. Stop and think about the resurrection. 
even if sickness brings the death sentence, stop and think about the resurrection. Death is not the end. It's the doorway into eternal life, the resurrected life with Christ. Stop and think about the resurrection. Think what Christ has achieved for us. I'll tell you what will happen. Your problems won't go away, but they'll have a whole new perspective. Instead of focusing on the problem, you'll be focusing upon Christ, and that'll give you extra strength to go through whatever wave is potentially going to crash upon your life by stopping to think and reflect on what Jesus has achieved for us. Here's what Paul says here in the, in the final verse as we begin to wrap this up. Look at this in verse 58. Always, always, in other words, because of the res- resurrection, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour isn't in vain. What's that mean? There are no wasted efforts in the gospel. Nothing is wasted in the gospel. When you have a gospel conversation with someone, like me yesterday in the time box at Mansfield Football Club, even though I felt like I didn't get too far, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. When you pick somebody up for church and bring them along, you haven't done something in vain there. When you cook somebody a meal in the name of Jesus Christ and give it to them, and you think, did I achieve anything? Nothing's done in vain. When you serve in the EC kids out the back on Sundays and you think, are these kids really getting anything out of this? Nothing's done in vain. Paul says, abound. Abound. The resurrection gives you such an enthusiasm because you know nothing is in vain here. Paul's saying, don't be half-hearted. Throw yourself into gospel ministry. Why? Because the resurrection is real, it's taken place and we have this glorious hope within us and we want that to be abounding out of our lives so others will see that. Paul's saying, be zealous, be enthusiastic, overflow here in the work for Christ because of the resurrection. As I just finished, here's this song that just dropped in my head, which I'm not going to sing, but I'm just going to put the lyrics up there, right? Again, old, old song, but really powerful. Uh, Because he lives... Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. That's gospel truth. Even though someone's wrote a lyric to a song, that's gospel truth. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living no matter what you're going through. No matter what you're going through, life is worth the living. Why? Just because he lives. Can you truly sing that song in your life? Do you know the hope and the power of the resurrection that Paul's communicating to us here through 1 Corinthians 15? Do you know that power? We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.